You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. I'm excited that you're here this morning as we dive into this. If you brought your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John 11. And we're going to be mostly John 11, 1 through 44. And I'm going to try to cover some scripture this morning. Are you good to cover some scripture? Good. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Turn to your other neighbor and say, they weren't ready. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Don't say that. Did somebody bring this coffee? Or is this somebody else's? Oh, it's mine now. And it's good, so I'm drinking it. Uh, we're in our, our Cactus Kids Church. I told Delaney, who's our kids director, that I'd wear this in solidarity with our kids people. If you serve in kids ministry, I just want to tell you uh, that I love you and I value you and I'm so thankful for you and for what you seed into the next generation in establishing the identity of Christ for the future of not only this city, but of families and nations. And so what you're doing is valuable and important and crucial and Jesus loved children. So look at children's ministry and you could say this is Jesus when you do children's ministry. So it's important. But I want to read to you uh, this morning because I, I believe that Jesus is here to, to speak some life into some dead things and, and, and to invite us to be a part of that miracle. So I want to read together. I'm reading out of the ESV, but John 11 starting in verse 1 through 3. And this is a great um, story is the wrong word, but this is a great scripture recording what actually happened. And it was actually recorded that this happened. And so this is telling uh, about this happening, and it's powerful. It's one of the uh, one of the, one of the coolest miracles, um, and it's uh, it's about Lazarus. So you might have heard of Lazarus. If not, you came on the right day because you're gonna hear about him today. So John 11, starting in verse one, it says, "It's now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, uh, Mary and her sister Martha." It was Mary who anointed the Lord with oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. That's another story, but we talked about it. So it's not uh, Mary, mother of Jesus, it's a different Mary, important. So it says, the sister sent to him, being Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is sick. So, so again, here's Mary and Martha, two sisters, and they send to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, the, the one you love, your friend whom you love is sick. And I... And just to start out, I, I want you to hear me because this is important as we're talking about Jesus is that Jesus had friends. Jesus is about love, right? And I'm not talking some like, uh, like, um, like absent-minded, like how the Greeks would have seen the love of the gods, which is like distant unless they need to. It's like real love, like real love that cares and has like real emotions. Did you know that love just like your love has emotions attached, Jesus' love has emotions attached, and they're connected? And so... Uh, I, I want you to hear as we get started, when it says the one whom Jesus loves, not only is it talking about Lazarus, but it's talking about you. It tells you. <laughs> that like, yes, Jesus loves me song. For the Bible tells me so. Here's where it tells you. <laughs> I love John 17 uh, because when Jesus is praying, he's literally praying, uh, Lord, the glory that you've given to me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be per become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That's a bold prayer. What that means is Jesus is saying, God, and he says it in Luke, he's saying, Father, help them to see that you love them like you love me. God loves you. God loves on you. He gives love to you. He has love for you. We're going to keep going. Amen. I think that's a big deal, but we'll keep going. We're just starting. We're warming up. You can shake it out. We'll get there. 
11.4, I'm just going to keep introducing that until we, we understand all the time. But 11.4 through 6, it says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha. Notice how he mentions them each, Martha and her sister, that's Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. Okay, that's interesting. It says, it, he mentions them by name. Jesus loved Martha. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Lazarus. Because we like to think Jesus loves the world, but yes, he loves the world, and you are one of those people that he loves deeply. But it says something funny. It says, he loved them so much that he stayed for too many, two more days. Like, that's a weird way to show your love. <laughs> loved him so much, didn't go. But when Jesus is speaking, Lazarus, they say, was already dead. And so Jesus waits for two more days, and it says in, in, what, in the verse we just, uh, and it, it says in the scripture we read in just a second, he waited so that it would be four total days. And I'll explain why that is important, is that four days in the grave under Hebrew tradition meant that somebody was completely gone. So when um, someone uh, died, they said in, in Hebrew tradition, it became this, this, this myth or ideology that, that the, the spirit would hover over the grave for three days and then it would leave. And so on the fourth day, there was just like no chance. So anyways, that's why four days. So let, let's keep reading. It says, uh, then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are not there 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. And Jesus lets out that sigh like, ah, I just don't get it. He says, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest meant sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, your scripture might say, uh, might list his name that is actually translated as twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Which is kind of like if you were in this uh, gathering, you'd be like, yeah, Thomas does not speak for me. Like, Thomas is not speaking for the group. Does anyone have that person in your, like, group of friends that's, like, mildly pessimistic? It's like, I don't know, man, let's just forget the whole thing. You're like, whoa, like, Thomas does not speak for us. <laughs> it, you know, Thomas is an inter interesting personality that is like a whole other message, but I'm just going to introduce to you here because Thomas is later seen as doubting Thomas. Is be careful of how your negativity will manifest itself because sometimes it will disguise itself as passion. Sometimes it will disguise itself as doubt, but in the end it's just straight up negativity. And so Thomas in the wording is saying like, all right, well, let's all go and we'll all just die. It sounded bold when you first heard it. Now it's like, all right, man, you need to chill. <laughs> Thomas isn't wrong, though, because it's, it begins the process of uh, what we'll talk about next week and why did Jesus have to die, uh, which what we'll talk about, uh, talk about next week. And so uh, it says, if, if we follow along, if we keep going, verse 17 says, when Jesus 
came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Remember, four days, important, because the spirit's gone. There's no hope for life. So everyone that he encounters from this moment on thinks it's over. And we need to have that context. We need to like, he raised him from the dead. For in these people's context, would be just like you and I if we lost somebody. It is the same way. Is that they're like, there's no hope, it's gone. Here's what happens. Verse 18, everyone's still with me. It says, verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So people would come out and professionally mourn and wail and, and, and mourn with the family. It says, so when Martha heard that, was, that when Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. She was still mourning inside. Martha said to Jesus, and, and, and here, this is good, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I think that's a powerful statement to say to Jesus and say to God. And I think it's really identifiable simultaneously. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. But I don't think that she says it angry. I don't think she says it indignant. Like, Jesus, if you had only been here, then my brother would be alive. Come on, man. I think she says it in grief and saying, God, I, Jesus, I, I know that you're a healer. I know that you heal. So if you had been here, Jesus... He would have been healed. He would have been whole. Because she understood a level of who Jesus was, but she didn't understand the fullness. Go with me. This is important. Is that all throughout scripture, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. He's trying to teach us. He's trying to teach other people. He's like, yeah, you believe that I'm a healer because you've seen me heal. But I'm greater than just healing. I'm God. Like, I'm greater than just ri li than lifting up the lame and healing bodies. I I've come to do so much more than that. And you've, you know that because you've seen that. But I've come to do so much more. See, Martha believes that Jesus can heal. But now that death has come, death is way too insurmountable of an obstacle for anyone to overcome. Right? Who can overcome death? I love this quote. It says, death was no stronger in his presence than disease. But these, meaning Mary and Martha, did not realize this. They would think of death as the unconquerable. See, with disease, many may grapple and fight and often overcome. But in the presence of death, they are helpless. I think that's a totally reasonable understanding for, for Martha and Mary. It's why Jesus does not rebuke them. It's because he's saying, listen, I understand. You've seen me heal, so you believe that I'm a healer, but there's so much more. Because to you, the dead things are unconquerable. But for me, it's mission priority number one. Like, the thing that is so unconquerable for you is literally the reason I'm here, is to be greater than death itself. Amen. We can praise the Lord. It's all right. I know we're in the southwest, but we could just press into the south part and cheer for things that are good. But I love even in this moment, as, as Martha's working this through, I love that Jesus is not afraid of your grief. Bring it to him. He knows it anyway. Just bring it to him. He's not afraid of it. And Martha says as she says, even now. That's a powerful prayer. Can I tell you, even now prayers are some of the most powerful prayers you could pray. 
even now, Jesus, that I'm looking at my brother's tomb and I'm looking into the death, even now I say that you're still God and I still believe in you. And I'm looking at death and I don't know how this is going to be right or good or what you're going to do with this or how you could turn this around or this is brokenness and people are wailing. But even now, verse 22, underline it if you need to, even now, Jesus, even now, even now while I face the weight of death, I still believe in you, Jesus. Even now, when I face the weight of grief, I still believe that you're God. Even now, in my life, when, when my dreams feel like they've been crushed, and I'm looking at just like a pile of dead dreams, even now I say, you're still God, and you are still powerful, and you still have the might and the power and the ability to take what is dead and bring it to life. And so, God, even though I can't see solutions, I can only see graves, I say, even now you're still God. You're still God in my life. Those are tough prayers, prayers to pray. They're not easy. They're not simple. But they're good. Even now. Even now I believe. Verse 23, if we keep going. There's a lot of scripture. I'm just going to keep rolling. If you get lost, turn to your neighbor and ask him, where are we? Verse 23 says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Jesus says, you'll rise again. And she thinks that he's, he's kind of being that, um, that like religious helper. Like all things for the glory. You know, just amen. But he's not saying that. He's saying there's power. Like to me, like quippy religious phrases are the most obnoxious thing when you're actually going through some stuff in your life. People are like, you know, he won't give you more than he can handle. You're like, that's a lie. I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> like, he will most certainly give me more than I can handle. <laughs> and I am facing it. That's about sin. And he will give you a way out of temptation. But he, there's going to be some junk in the world that you cannot handle, which is why you need Christ. You cannot handle death. That's how it works. Anyways, so don't say religious quippy phrases. Someone's going to get shut down in like an hour and a half for just trying to be nice. Be nice to people that are trying to be nice to you. <laughs> but anyways. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. If that's not underlined in your Bible and you feel comfortable doing that, you should underline, circle, star next to it, highlight it, post it online, tattoo it on your body, whatever you need to do. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yeah, you, rep you replied like she replied. She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. What a response. Mind you, she's not standing in, in like, the ritzy hotel. She's standing out front of her brother's grave. And, he, she, and Jesus is saying to her, do you believe? Do you believe in me? And she's saying, yes, I believe in you. That's powerful faith. It, it starts a little, but God can do a, a lot with a little. He says, Martha, do you believe that God has sent me power or sent me? Like, do you believe that God has given me power and that's it, like the power to heal? Or do you believe that I am the power of God functioning and living and breathing? And she says, yes, I, I believe that. She says, I have the power over death. I, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Let me tell you, when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's speaking into every generation to follow, saying, listen, someone might have told you there's another way to heaven, but I'm just, I'm going to lay it down because I don't want to see you waste any more days of your life. I don't want to see you miss it. I don't want to get there and not see you there either. I want to tell you there is one way, and I know this might not be popular opinion, but it's the right opinion. It's the word opinion. There's one way to the Father, and that's Christ Jesus. There's one way to the Father, and that's Jesus. There's one way, if you were to go out here and to die on the road, you're not getting to heaven because you adopted a puppy. You're getting to heaven because of Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Please adopt dogs. That's good. But, let, but this is what Jesus is saying. I am the resurrection and the life, and the resurrection and life has come to you to bring life into your situation. Your body might die even, but that doesn't mean death has won because you'll be with me for eternity. Let's keep going. I didn't um, highlight this in my notes, but I'm hoping this part of the scripture is on there because they're just intuitive in the spirit this morning. But if not, roll with me. Verse 28, if you're following along, says, And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet, saying to him, this might sound familiar, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let me, let me tell you, you might as well bring it to the Lord. He knows already. They don't scare him. She's the second person today. And it says this, verse 33, if you have your Bibles, follow me right here, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. By weeping, I mean wailing, mourning, weeping. I'm not saying wiping away tears. I'm saying a real passionate heart, gut-wrenching, a loss too soon, weeping. It says when Jesus saw them weeping, he was deeply moved. Someone say deeply moved. In his spirit and greatly troubled. Let me tell you about this word, deeply moved, this phrase, deeply moved. I'm going to tell you the word here, and give me grace if you speak Greek, but here's the word. Embrimache. Here's what this word means. It means like a horse snorting in anger. People are like, okay, that's not what I thought you were going to say at all. <laughs> horse snorting. You're learning new things today. Follow me here. This is so important. It says, when Jesus saw their weeping and wailing at, at the death of Lazarus, something rose up. See, some of your translations might say he groaned in his spirit. Some of your translations might say he was indignant in his spirit. Is it Which one is it? It's all of them. He was moved. He was indignant. He groaned. The word literally means when he encountered this this wailing and weeping and death. It says Jesus went, ah! That's called emotion, y'all. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus encountered the, 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 the death of his friend and he wasn't like, peace be with you. He went, ah! I hate this. You know why? Because he was at creation. Did you know Jesus, part of the triune God was at creation, and he created life to be in union with him, and that sin robbed that, and it broke it, and it brought death into the world. 
And so when Jesus looked into the tomb, he didn't look at just Lazarus' tomb. He looked at all of our tombs. And he looked as a father would look at the thing that stole the innocence of their child. And he goes, ah! He's righteously indignant at it. See, Jesus did not come to be a wall hanging. He came to be a warrior and defeat death. He was the prince of peace. But guess what? He came to defeat something we could not defeat. I know he looks cute in the picture with the lamb. He is peace, and I received that Jesus. But he's also the God that stormed the gates of hell and destroyed it and defeated death for you and I. That's also who he is. And so when he comes in and he, and he encounters it, he's present in the situation, and he sees death, the thing that distorted his beautiful child that he weeps over, and he's weeping over what death has tried to steal and rob, not just in Lazarus' life, but for all of life. And he goes, this is my mission. This is why I'm here. Jesus came that the lost might be found. And so when he looks at the tomb, it says he snores. This is artic- inarticulate noise wells up out of the overflow of the, ho- the heart. The mouth apparently makes all kinds of noises. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Have you made this noise in your life? Just like, Aah! not that he was out of control. Not that he was unrighteously angry, not that he was lashing out, not that he was given to wrath in a bad way. But that he looked at death and thought, I'm going to break this thing. There's just something when it touches close to home where it gets personal. And I know it's always been personal, but I think in that moment as Jesus is looking into the tomb, he's looking to you and me, and he's, and he's looking to you and he's saying, it's personal. I'm going to break this thing. I'm going to destroy this thing. Not, not just for Lazarus, but for all time, for all people, for all places. Can I tell you, I, I love this about Jesus, that he's, that he's God, God Almighty, right? That he sits at the right hand of the throne. But that he was also like walking in the sand, pouring his emotions out for the loss of a friend. That's the Jesus you pray to. Is the Jesus that sat outside a tomb and mourned like you mourn. And cried out like you cried out, except he cried out into, into authority. He cried out in that moment to say, listen, I've come as a warrior to defeat death, hell, and the grave, and it will not stand. And so when he's looking at, he's looking at this thing that's trying to rob his children of the life he intended. And I got to tell you, if someone took and started to steal the innocence and the life and the future of my child, you better know what I would do when I got my hands on them. And that's how Jesus sees death and the enemy in the grave. Are you with me? Like we need to get a little indignant about death. I like that Jesus is both calm and hardcore simultaneously. That Jesus is kind of savage and he comes in and he sees it and he's just indignant. Some people say like, what is he doing? And some people are like, man, he loved that guy. Yeah, you're right. He did love you because he looked into your grave 2,000 years ago and went, no. I'm not going to let it win. I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to crush it. I'm going to beat it. It's going away. It's destroyed. And he got indignant for you. Amen? Amen. So I'm fired up. That's a big one for me. But there's three things I want to get there because I don't want to get lost. Three things this morning. As this moment happens and we have this shift. So he gets to the tomb. He encounters this moment. He snorts like a horse. And... uh, and then, then something cool happens, and there's three things. And I, if you brought notes, write them down. If not, on the back of your calendar, there's some notes, and I want you to write, write these three down. Three, three things down. The stone is rolled away. Really, really important. Write that down. 
Here it is, 1138 through 40. It says, then Jesus deeply moved again. I won't replay the whole thing, but you got it in your mind, I hope. Came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. This is called foreshadowing. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. A body in the heat of the desert for four days. She's saying, God, no, 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 we don't want to roll that stone away. So Jesus comes near the tomb. They say, oh, we want to get you near, but like we don't want to open it, because if we opened it, man, it'd be bad. And I think about that in, my, in our own lives. We're willing to get Jesus near the tomb, but we don't want to roll away the stone. Because if Jesus really smelled what was dead in there, he'd be like, we're afraid. He'd be like, oh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> roll that back shut. Because <laughs> we're afraid. We invite him near. But there's still something blocking the grave. We say, Jesus, my family is broken. And, and, and in this grave, here is the grave of my broken family that tears itself down and tears itself apart. And the relationships and my family's dying. There's trauma. Jesus, would you come and would you do a work in my family? And we come to presence night and we pray. And Jesus comes to the grave and he says, roll away the stone. And we're like, whew. I don't know if I want to do that. Because if I roll this stone away, you're going to see some stink. Turns out I'm, I'm a part of this. I got some stuff going on. Because we get afraid of that if he really smelled how bad it was in our grave, that he would reject us. That if he really smelled how bad it was. Jesus, I need you in my life. Jesus, I need you to, to speak, to, to resurrect me out of the death of my addiction. And he says, okay, let's do this. Roll away the stone. And you're like, Phew. I don't know about that. Let me give you a spoiler alert. He already knows what's back there. <laughs> he already has smelt it, seen it, knew it. He knew when you did it. He knew when you buried it. He knew when you joined it. He saw it, knew it. It will not surprise him. It will not scare him. He knows what's on the other side. See, the death that you have in this grave is not greater than the death that he overcame. And the hell that you've gone through is not greater than the hell that he's defeated. And it sits there, and, and we don't want to roll it away. Because sometimes that stone uh, is doubt. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's insecurity. Sometimes it's past hurt. Sometimes it's bitterness. And so here's the grave of our relational disunity, but here's the stone of bitterness that we can't seem to get out of the grave because we won't remove the stone. And so Jesus came to speak. I think so often in our lives, there's these dead things and dead hopes and dreams, and, and sometimes it's, it's us, but there's a stone in front. Can I tell you, this is why the church is important. Who does, he, who does he ask to remove the stone? The disciples, the followers of Christ. Did you know that? Jesus doesn't remove it. He asks the disciples to remove it. If there's any, anything that's a good, um, solid a foundation for why honor should be uh, a principle of the church. That's why it's one of our core values is because we have to be people who roll away stones. We have to be people that help roll away the stones of pain and hurt and bitterness and insecurity. Have you ever opened up and been made to feel bad about it? You don't have to say yes, it's okay. I have. Have you ever been real and vulnerable and found out that people uh, had an opinion about it later, but not the stones that talked to you about it during? Yeah, me too. 
See, this is what happens in our life is, is, is if we are not a place that is safe to roll away the stones because, because we're afraid of some church people smelling the smell and starting to gossip, then we will not see the stones rolled away. Can I tell you, Banner Church, we got to be a church of honor, and I'm thankful that we are a church of honor. And, and here's the reality. I'm talking real honor. I'm not talking the honor turd sandwich. Go with me here. It's the only language I can think of. I thought all, all week, garbage. There we go. No, I changed it. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Ignore you heard that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> His mercy is new every day. <laughs> we can talk about it later. <laughs> um, I think of it this way. If you have the beautiful bread of honor and then a stinky hot piece of garbage and another beautiful bread of honor and you sandwich together, do you have an honor sandwich or a garbage sandwich? You got a garbage sandwich. So if you go, bless their heart. You know, I love, I love Banner Church. You know, I love the church, but I just don't like this about Katie. I just, I don't like that she does this. I don't like that she dresses this way. I don't like that about her. And then you sandwich that with, but I do love the church. You're making a garbage sandwich. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> if you want to hear how I really feel about that. Um, but this is why it's so important that honor is so crucial. And here's why. It's because we have all opened up in our life and been kicked. And people have been like, whoa, wow, that's bad. It's like taking off your shoes. That one kid that takes off his shoes in the class and everyone goes, wow. And that kid never, he never takes his shoes off again. He dies with those size four Payless shoes on. <laughs> right? Why? Because he's ashamed. He's ashamed of the smell. Hopefully. But can I tell you, church, we got to be a place that's not ashamed of the smell. And we got to be the kind of people that roll away the grave. If you cannot be honoring, then you are part of putting the cement on the gravestone of someone's future. And if you think they won't find out, then you're just ignorant because they will. And so if you gossip, if you dishonor, if you talk about someone behind their back, then you are spiritually cementing the gravestone to the front of their grave. And I will not stand for that because this church is about rolling the gravestone away and speaking life and bringing life and bringing hope. So you have my freedom. If someone is cementing the gravestone and saying, man, that's way too stinky. Have you smell how bad Pastor Josh smells? You say, you know what, man, you can just chip that away and just move on down the line because we are rolling stones away and speaking life into graves at Banner Church. Amen? Yeah. Amen. And that's my prayer. Man, I want to be that disciple who rolled away that stone. Because, like, I can't raise the dead. But, man, I'll roll stones all day. I'm a worker bee. <laughs> Let's roll some stones. Rolling stones. Great band name. Someone should take it. Second thing this morning. <laughs> second thing this morning is that Jesus is calling the dead to life. That's the second thing you can write down if you're a note taker. John 11, 41 through 44 says this. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. He's always pointing to the Father. There's one way to the Father. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Think about that. Not like a super long prayer. It's like right to the point. I love this, that Jesus, part of the triune God who was at creation, the voice that spoke life into all creation is now speaking with a loud voice of authority into the grave. See, we serve a God that speaks to dead things as if they were alive. 
See, Jesus speaks to what is dead with a life that he knows it can receive, not the death that it has been subject to. Jesus speaks that to it. Romans 4.17 says, In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. See, God speaks life where there is no life. See, we don't serve a weak God. We don't serve an ambivalent God. We don't serve a distant God. We serve a powerful God. We serve a God that comes to the edge of the tomb of our families and our lives and our hopes and our dreams, and he calls into the dead things as if they were alive. I call into your dream and I tell it to come out. He doesn't say, Lazarus, wake up, restore, come to life and comes out. He talks to him like he's just sitting in there waiting. Can I tell you, we are waiting. We're waiting for God to call in and say, listen, family who's disunified and broken, I speak life into you. I bring life into you. I bring unity into you. Not by your power. You could never fix the mess that is your relationships, but I can. And I speak life into the tomb and I call you out in the name of Jesus. That's the power of Jesus. That's the God we serve. God's calling to every life. It doesn't matter how dark of a cave, how deep of a grave. God is calling to your life to say, come out. Come out. And let me tell you, Banners, we just like welcome you when you come out of the grave. We're, we're excited. Third thing, last thing. I'm going to invite the band up this morning. Third thing is that the grave clothes must be removed. John 11:44. the last verse that I'm going to read to you. It says, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. See, Jesus doesn't just raise the dead. He removes the identity of the grave. And this is so important. That when Lazarus comes out, the disciples begin to remove the grave clothes and remove the things that are wrapping up and binding him. See, see, he was, he was alive, but he was still bound. He had new life, but he was still constricted. So what did the church do? They came around and they started to unwrap at the command of Christ. And they began to unwrap these things and unleash these things strip by pe- strip piece by piece. The identity of the grave, the identity of his death, they began to unwrap It would have been a wasted life if he had raised from the grave but walked around like a mummy till he died in the future. Just having to hop around everywhere wrapped up because he didn't want to release the grave clothes because he was a dead man. That was his thing. And so he would go and he would tell me, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm a dead guy. The grave is not your identity. And they begin to unwrap it and they begin to release it and they begin to, to take these things off. See, some of us are, you've received God has called you out, but you're still walking around like a mummy. You still got, you can, you got like enough that you can see through, but the rest of it still hangs on you, still hangs on your family, wrapped up the stench of the grave, the stench, you're like, why do I, why do I just not feel like, ah, I just feel the same. 2 Corinthians says the old, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. And this morning he's saying, man, let me just unwrap those grave coats. Let me just take those things off. Shame, unravel it. There's no point in praying that your family would be released from the cave of death and disunity and hurt and repair, but then say, you know what, I'm just gonna keep the grave clothes of bitterness on. That's the only one who's bound is you. The only one who's trapped is you. But God wants you to walk into new life in a fresh identity to be released from the power of 
of sin and shame. And so this morning, if he's called you out, can I just encourage you that he also wants to remove that identity and just unwrap the grave clothes in your life? Some of you, it's going to take, you know, might feel like it's taking a long time. Some of you have been on that process. But this morning is the great moment to say, Jesus, just take them off. Let all these grave clothes fall off. I want to release them to you. I want to give them to you. I want to build my life on you. I don't want my identity to be the grave. I want it to be Jesus Christ. So Jesus, I need you to just roll away the stone, speak life. And if you call me out, I'm going to release it. Because maybe someone's spoken something over you. They hurt you and put you in what you feel like is the grave of your dreams or your potential. And God, this morning is going to release you. So I call you out of the grave into the freedom of life. But when I do, you've got to unravel those words that are wrapped around you, that they wrapped you with, that they bound you with, that they tied you with. You need to release those. I love Romans 10. It says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, for everyone who calls on Jesus will be saved. And this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity to roll away that stone and say, Jesus, call into my life. I want to come out of the grave this morning. Would you stand with me? establish a new identity that's not the grave, but it's the foundation of Jesus Christ. And I love that Romans tells us there's no condemnation through Christ Jesus. I love that scripture tells us his mercy is new every day. I love that it tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, scripture is freeing. If anyone told you it's not, they lied to you. It's here to release you and strengthen you and empower you and through repentance bring you into new life. So this morning, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do two things. One, is I'm going to pray, and if you've never accepted the living water, the new life of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that this morning. The second thing is this, it, if you feel like, okay, maybe I'm in the grave or come out of the grave, but I'm just like wrapped up in these grave clothes, whatever it is, hurt, pain, bitterness, whatever you feel wrapped up in, this morning, I need Jesus just to release me. I need to feel that release. I'm going to give you that opportunity. We're going to pray for you this morning. So just know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you in a second. Our prayer team is going to pray with you. We're going to start one thing this morning. Would you close your eyes with me? If you're here this morning and you're saying, I've never received the living water of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to step out of the grave and into eternal life with him. I'm making that decision. I don't know all the answers, but I'm coming out of the grave this morning, and I choose to follow Jesus with my life. That's you. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me. We're all going to pray together, but I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer, which is taking a step of beginning that relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to invite you. We're going to pray together. But let's do this. If that's you, this is your moment. This is, this is your day. This is the day you've been waiting for, to take the step into Jesus Christ and begin new life. No longer a slave to the old, but set free in the new. This is your moment. But we're going to pray together. Let's pray. Dear Jesus thank you for dying for me for taking away my sin and shame and bringing me new life 
give you my heart. Repent of all my sins and choose to follow you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we do this? Um, if you've ever raised your hand to receive the Lord or give your life to the Lord, would you just raise your hand real quick in solidarity and say, that was me, I did that at one point. Awesome, amen. Hey, if you, for the first time, uh, chose to follow Jesus with your life for the very first time, would you raise your hand? We just want to celebrate with you. Quick up and down, we want to praise you. All right, let's give it up. Thank you, guys. I want to pray one more thing, and we're just going to give a chance to respond and worship. I think it's one of the best ways and places to respond is if you're saying this morning, you know, I, I, I'm trying to come out of the grave, but I feel a little wrapped up in the grave clothes, whatever that is. I'm going to invite you to respond this morning, and you're saying, I want to, I want to leave feeling free and released in the name of Jesus. I'm going to do this. I'm going to just invite you to come forward. I know it's a bold, bold move. Don't feel like if you didn't come forward, you did it wrong. But I believe there's power in taking a step of faith. And you're saying, you know what, this morning, like, I'm just not going to leave this place tied up to this bitterness. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to release that. Whatever it might be, I'm just going to invite you in this moment to make your way forward. And our worship, our worship team is going to play this song, and our prayer team is going to pray with you. So if you're saying this morning, Jesus, I need you to set me free from the grave clothes that abound me. I'm going to invite you forward. I'm going to pray with you this morning. We thank you that you are a God that, that unwraps the things that abound us and frees us in Jesus' name. And so, God, I just pray over this room, I pray there be a spirit of freedom, God, from every identity that's tried to hold or hold back, from every identity that's tried to lock into the grave. And we choose today to say we build our life upon you. God, not the things that have held us, not the things that have held us down, but we choose this morning to build our life upon you, Jesus Christ. So we pray if there's anything, bitterness, shame, hurt, or the past, we release that in the name of Jesus and we step into new life in your holy name. We give it to you. We pray, God, we build our life upon you. We build our hope upon you. We build our future upon you in Jesus Christ.